You have to let me do what I want, Mom. It's my life. Welcome to the Telling It Our Way podcast. I'm Allie. And I'm Becca. In this podcast, we bring you stories about disabled people by disabled people. These are real stories from the daily lives of self-advocates with intellectual and developmental disabilities. These are real people with complicated lives, and they don't want your pity, and they don't want to inspire you. Yeah, this is not inspiration porn. So, Allie, today we're talking about relationships. I am so excited about this episode. I'm always interested in the gossip around town, uh, and it's really fun to think about how there's a stereotype, right, that folks with intellectual disabilities don't have relationships, don't have significant others. And I think once you sort of start hanging out with folks in the in the intellectual disability community, you realize that that is absolutely not true. Yeah, right. I mean, I think there's this real stereotype that people with intellectual disabilities are children or couldn't possibly want to have a relationship or that they wouldn't be able to find a partner. And all of that stuff is so untrue. We see this even in when you think about access to like sex education, for instance, and so much of the time in high school, those kids with intellectual disabilities aren't even given access to the miserable sex education that the rest of the kids get in the first place. Yeah. And I mean, the ramifications go out even farther than that into reproductive health care. You know, so uh, women with intellectual disabilities have higher rates of undetected breast cancer because they just don't receive reproductive health care. Which is absolutely absurd because breast cancer doesn't have anything to do with, you know, reproductive health or sexuality. Right. But because we've already stereotyped folks with intellectual disabilities as forever children, it just it plays out in really significant ways. And, you know, I'm also thinking about how, you know, in the beginning of our episode, we say that this is not inspiration porn. Sorry, guys. So one of the ways that we see inspiration porn working, right, is when we have folks doing promposals, right? So this is something, I'm too old for this. We did not have promposals or, you know, YouTube or the internet when I was in high school, thank God. People will put together really elaborate promposals and they'll film them and they'll put them on YouTube and everyone's really excited about them. And one sort of subgenre of this is when the football player asks the, the woman with Down syndrome to go to prom. And everyone always thinks, oh my gosh, that's so great. That's so inspiring. Look what a good person he is. Mm, that's so generous of him. Yeah, right, because it's built on on, on this assumption that relationship isn't reciprocal, right? That those people couldn't be friends with each other or that those people couldn't go on a date together, right? Or and have a romantic relationship. Exactly. People can be attracted to all sorts of people. Mm-hmm. And we just preclude the idea that there would be attraction to someone with an intellectual disability. Yeah, so we're busting those stereotypes today. Um, We've got two stories for you today. The first is coming from Phyllis, who is going to tell us a story about what she did to advocate for herself with her parents, with her providers, in order to move in with her long-term partner. Hi, my name is Phyllis. This is my story. My boyfriend Darius and I have been together for a long time. Maybe 25 years. We had a great relationship. Everyone asks, when is the wedding? I say we're waiting patiently. We thought we couldn't have a real wedding. 
I thought I'd lose my benefits. But we learned that Ohio is changing the marriage law for people with disabilities. We're starting to plan our own wedding now. I used to live in my own apartment. I lived with myself and my two cats. Our neighborhood was not that great. I got kind of lonely. My lease was up and I thought, I'm moving. I'm leaving. I decided I wanted to live with Darius. My mom told me I was kind of nervous. My mom said, told me this wouldn't, you would never live with Darius. It's never going to happen. I put my foot down. I want to stick up for myself with advocacy. I said, this is what I want. It's my life. You have to let me do what I want. My dad agreed with me. He said, you're an adult. You have rights. My staff, my mom and dad had a meeting. They had to talk. Then we had a big meeting all together and it finally happened. We could live together. I cried because I was so happy. It's been five years now since we've been living together. The day we moved in, it was pouring down rain. It was very cold. It was windy. And we had two men in truck help us move with my family, my staff, and Darius's mom. We have a good place to live at now. It's quiet, there are no kids running in the neighborhood. All right, thanks to Phyllis for sharing that story about her relationship. You know, I, I did a little, a little bit of research before we came in to do, record the podcast today, and I wanted to know about this idea of the marriage penalty. So Phyllis talks about how hard it is because she would lose like some of her income if she marries this this boyfriend, right? And so I found out the Kaiser Family Foundation in June 2021 reported that a married couple loses 25% of their income if they're on SSI, if they're on Social Security, each. So they, they lose, so if they have $1,200 each and they get married, their joint income will not be $2,400 a month. It will actually be $1,800 a month. Make it make sense, Allie. So the the justification that I read about for this is that, well, it, it the couple's moving in together. They only need one apartment, so it's not going to cost as much money, right? People are living with roommates anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So if they move in together, they're not necessarily living in a particularly different way financially than they were before when they were living with roommates. And there's, I think there's an even older stereotype here that if one member of a couple is on benefits that they should lose those benefits completely when they get married because their partner will support them. Right, as if there can be like any household at all ever with one income earner at right. this point in time. <laughs> Maybe we're just surly millennials, but I feel like it's, it's an impossible. And, and the income that people on Social Security live on is already below the poverty line. Mm -hmm. So what we know about poverty and disability, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be on my soapbox, but but what we know about poverty and disability is that it creates a cyclical, like, situation, right? Where you're exposed to more things that that exacerbate disability or cause disability when you're living in poverty. So if you're already disabled, it just creates a cycle. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to sort of get out of that cycle of poverty once you're in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll we'll be revisiting the problem with benefits throughout the podcast, I think. (laughs) But we want to keep this light and fluffy, right? Because we're about relationships. Yes. Um, But if you are interested in learning more about the marriage penalty, you can find info at the Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund, 
or the Kaiser Family Foundation. And you can actually just do a search term SSI and marriage penalty, and you'll find a ton of information about it. So we've been talking about marriage. You know, Phyllis and Darius have been in a relationship for a long time. But now I think I'd like to hear a story about the kind of beginnings of a relationship, that sort of new young love. Our next story is from Cassandra and Brad talking about the beginning of their relationship and their hopes for the future. I'm getting butterflies just thinking about first dates. Yeah. Wait till you hear it. Let's listen. I'm Cassandra. Yeah, I'm Brad. And this is our story. Back in May of 2018, the Arc of Ohio hosted a relationship class. We learned about relationships, and that's where we met. During our break for the class, I noticed that he was having a seizure, so I went over to check to see if he was okay. I had a crush on her ever since 2018, but I didn't know how to asked her. I was nervous and scared. I had feelings for him back then, but I didn't know it myself. I was in a relationship already, but we became good friends and cared for each other. Before we started dating, people would ask, are they more than friends? They saw something we didn't see. We started dating on August 11, 2021. Ever since then, we've been helping each other out. I did not know that God was going to bring him into my life, but I knew there were good men out there. But I was better. Our first date was really creative. We went to our church's mini carnival. Brad was Spider-Man. But don't tell anyone. I would help him go around and speak with the kids and take pictures because he couldn't see out of the mask very well. We talked and talked and talked and... We figured that God put us together, so why can't we be more than friends? We are loving and caring to each other, and we have great plans for the future together. We know what our future is. I tell her, I'm always here for you, and I'll always watch out for you. And we know that God has great plans for both of us. We hope our story can change people's lives. Never give up on finding a good, healthy relationship. I really like that they end with kind of this call out for everyone who's listening that you can wait for the right relationship. You can wait for that right relationship to come along where you feel valued, where you feel like you have a place in that space. I think that's a really great message to end with. I think it's really important and it resonates with so many people. Like you do not have to settle and you do not have to be married by the age of 24 or 31 or whatever it is that you got sort of some number in your head watching rom-coms or something um, in the 1990s, right? It doesn't, there's no timeline for these things. It's way worse to be miserable with someone who's not the right partner for you or with someone who just puts you down or or is not encouraging, or even if it's just a partner who's nice enough, but you're not attracted to them, right? You don't have to settle. Mm -hmm. And you can have relationships of all sorts with folks and still wait for your person. Both of these stories have been stories where people have had the autonomy, the independence, the support to 
date around to look for their partners and to have relationships. But I was looking at the National Core Indicators, which if you're not familiar with them, they are this excellent annual survey. You are such a nerd. I'm such a nerd for for particularly for the National Core Indicators. Um, It is my favorite survey if a person might have one of those. So this is a national survey that happens every year with people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And this survey reports that only 77% of the people who were interviewed say that they can go on a date if they want to. Clearly, there's some other things that are preventing people from seeking relationships. It's, It's a little bit harder than just kind of getting out to the bar and finding somebody. There are some other barriers in place. And we can understand them a little bit more if we look at the breakdown a little bit, which is that people who are living in institutional settings, only 72% of those people say that they can go on a date if they want to or that they're already married or living with a partner. And so there's something about kind of gatekeeping that's happening in those places. Well, it looks like it looks like it's happening with families, though, too, because it says here 73% of people living with a parent or a relative are also experiencing that gatekeeping. So it's not a matter of institutional policy. It's a matter of someone actually just saying no. Or like, I'm not going to drive you. Right. They're attitudinal barriers, right? Not necessarily structural ones. But I do think it's important to think about when we're thinking about romance, when we're thinking about dating, it's not always, not everyone has the support in place to pursue those kinds of relationships, even if they want them. Well, and think about those barriers for everybody, right? So one is transportation. So it's, it's a lot easier to date if you have your own car. It's a lot more difficult if you rely on public transportation. It's even more difficult if you rely on accessible public transportation, mm-hmm. right? Because we all know if you rely on public transportation that thing, there are glitches and you can end up late or missing movie times, right? But there's also, you know, money. Like it costs money to even just, if you want to go for a walk in the park and then get a cup of coffee, that's 10 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. That's 10 bucks down the drain, not down the drain, but you know what I mean? It's 10 bucks. 10 bucks well spent. But 10 bucks well spent, but it's, you know, that's a lot of money. Right. And if, If we go back to the idea of like you're making $1,200 a month, (laughs) $10 is not nothing. Yeah, right. And so you get those attitudinal barriers, the financial barriers, the structural barriers. And, you know, that's not even to say, you know, what if you live out in the country and you don't have access to community even? Meeting people. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also think, too, about how dating apps work and how much of dating apps actually rely on an ability to to read, right, to be able to read a profile Mm -hmm. and how many of those are those apps accessible? Are they going to be able to be read by a screen reader software? I actually have no idea. That would have been something interesting to research, but we didn't do that. So So. suffice to say. Somebody listening, please tell us. Please do that research and tell us if screen readers are working well with dating apps because that would be really important. Before we end, I do want to thank our contributors, Phyllis, Cassandra, and Brad, our associate producer, Connor Smenner, and our Telling It Our Way advisory board members, Jarita Fox, Quinn Thomas, and Gavin Daly. Special thanks to WGTE and our producer, Chris Pfeiffer. To access transcripts for this show and any other show notes, please visit wgte.org slash our way. WGTE. Voices around us. WGTE is supported in part by American Rescue Plan Act funds allocated by the City of Toledo and the Lucas County Commissioners and administered by the Arts Commission.